Love and Haste by Andrew Colcher. Love and Haste by Andrew Culture, Chapter 9 When we look back on major events in our lives, it's often the stranger details that stick with us. Like the man with a bad beard at a wedding, or the dog that curled one out on the pavement in front of you while you were breaking up with someone. The decision Sam Curtis made to go on a wild treasure hunt was obviously a major event in his life. But afterwards, when he spoke to friends about it, he wasn't able to fully express exactly how the thrill of the impending chase made him feel. He couldn't find the words to describe how excited he was when he realised that he might be about to become a rich man, and it was no use his friends asking if deep in his heart he really thought out how he would cope with such an adventure in a foreign country, because the clearest thing Sam Curtis remembers about the moment that both he and Charlie decided to hunt for Bill Bacon's cash is that he hoped nobody would notice that the blocks of parquet flooring he had been interfering with had become firmly glued to the toe of his right shoe. <laughs> Charlie Page remembered exactly what was going through her head when she made the decision to hunt for Bill Bacon's cash. And if she were a cartoon character, she would have had dollar signs clearly visible in her eyes. Once he'd grumbled his way back to the trestle table, the old lawyer made a show of removing the two envelopes from his trouser pockets, holding them both in front of him, and then returning the rejected envelope to his pocket. With one eye on his watch and his mind already teeing off, he rattled through the rest of the rules for the treasure hunt. In addition to the thousand dollars that he handed over to Sam and Charlie, he also gave them each a key to Bill's house, and told them that two rooms would be made up in the attic of the house, so that no matter what happened over the next few weeks, they could rest assured they would always have somewhere to stay if they needed it. While Sam and Charlie had been left alone to make the decision, Paige had told Curtis, the young lawyer, what was required of him, and once a thousand dollars had been counted by Charlie, and stuffed in a pocket by Sam, he told them much the same thing. Curtis had been hired to try and make sure they didn't cheat by hiring a private detective or someone else who might help them find the million dollars. As it happened, the fiscal embarrassment of our two treasure hunters ruled out any such cheating. The thousand dollars they were both now in possession of was the most money they had in the world. Paige handed over the two clues, and Sam and Charlie both folded them up small and shoved them in their pockets before the other could read them, which was a bit pointless because they were identical. Paige was keen to get off to the indoor golf course, so got through the polite handshaking and wishings of good luck to all, and was about to walk out the room when he remembered one last thing. Ah, uh, yes, uh, I nearly forgot one last thing. Bill had an English car that he was terribly proud of. He was quite the Anglophile, you know. Anyway, it's due to be sold at auction on the same day as this house. But until then, I don't see any reason why the two of you shouldn't use it, or one of the two of you. I've had the office put you both on the insurance already. I know it doesn't seem terribly fair to make you choose who gets the car, but you really give no sport when choosing the envelope, so there you go. The old lawyer fumbled in his jacket pocket and threw a key onto the settee between Sam and Charlie. There you go, there's the key to Bill's pride and joy, his Jaguar. As soon as the door was closed, Curtis reopened it, and after quickly ducking in to pick up a candy wrapper from the floor, he nipped through without bothering to say goodbye to Sam and Charlie. Out in the hall, he caught up with Paige just before he disappeared through the front door. Uh, Mr. Turner, sir, uh, how can I make sure they don't cheat if I don't know where they're going? Dear fellow, if you're any kind of lawyer at all, then you shouldn't have any problem figuring that out. Curtis lunged forward in an attempt to make it look like he was going to open the door for Paige, but in reality it was nothing more than a clumsy attempt to pick the old lawyer's trouser pocket. You see, Curtis really wasn't any kind of lawyer at all, and he really wanted the envelope that Sam and Charlie had rejected 
the envelope that contained the exact location of the hidden money. But while Curtis was no lawyer, neither was he an accomplished pickpocket. Instead of getting into Paige's pocket, he had lunged forward and gently squeezed the old lawyer's trouser furniture. Paige's reaction read more like a surprise than a shock, which in turn led to a shock for Curtis. Did fellow, I had no idea. Well, I must be going. You have my number, and you'll find me in my club most evenings, so... Instead of finishing his sentence, he gave Curtis's bottom a gentle squeeze and made his exit. After giving Paige a few moments to make good his escape, Curtis nipped across the road to Boston Common in search of a decent tree he could use to hide behind so he could watch Sam and Charlie when they left the house. Curtis didn't have to wait long. In fact, he only had to wait for as long as it took for Sam to insist that Charlie took the Jaguar, and for the 20 seconds it took Charlie to accept the offer, grab the keys and run out the front door. Charlie thought that Sam had offered her the Jaguar because he was English, chivalrous, gentlemanly, stupid, something, anything, it didn't matter, and she didn't care why. The truth is that before he'd owned his own knackered Mercedes, Sam owned an even more knackered and ancient Jaguar, and therefore he had first-hand experience of just how unreliable these stately old English cars can be. After Charlie had made what she must have felt sure was a good head start, Sam took a few moments to dig his 30-page self-service airline ticket out of his bag and check the terms. He was sure that there was a discount voucher for a hire car buried in the terms and conditions somewhere. Either way, he'd seen a car hire place by Boston South Station, which was just a few hundred yards past the other side of the common. With a thousand dollars in his pocket, Sam was sure he'd be able to hire a car that was far more likely to help him on his quest than a beat-up old Jaguar. Curtis saw Sam and Charlie grinning from ear to ear when they left Bill Bacon's house to go their separate ways that day. Sam had an extra wide grin as he walked down across Boston Common, because now that he had some cash he could pop into Macy's and buy some thermal underwear and a decent winter coat. In fact he felt so good that he even tipped the saxophonist who was still making that terrible noise by the park gates. Sam was too distracted to notice that the saxophonist's lips and fingers had frozen to the instrument because of the cold. And he wasn't playing crazy riffs with some nearby dancing drunks. He was yelling at them through his saxophone because they weren't helping him. Mm -hmm.